We'll be in John 18 here. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John 18. And we'll be, I'll be reading out the NASB version, John 18, verse 28 through 40. Now a little bit of context as you're turning uh, to those pages here. The high priests have illegally tried Jesus. Annas and Caiaphas have determined that Jesus needed to die. And it was for envious reasons. They had their own reasons. They wanted to maintain and secure their power. However, they had a problem. Although they could condemn a man to death, they couldn't actually put a man to death. So what did they do? They made an alliance with the civic government. They go to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, to have him carry out the execution. Now, Pontius Pilate was told that Jesus is a king. He's a threat to Rome because Pontius Pilate would not care about Jesus' religious claims. That would not warrant Jesus to die in, in the eyes of the Roman government. So the Jews said, he's a, he's, a, he's a king, and he tells us not to pay taxes to Caesar. You need to punish him, all right? But Pilate will see through all this. He knows that it's out of envy that they come to him, and Jesus is not a threat to Rome. Okay, so let's rise and let's read John 18, verse 28 to 40 here. This is a story of Jesus before Pilate. This is God's word. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled by the, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. God is always in control. Verse 33 Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests deliver you to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If the kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Not a threat to you, Pilate. I'm not a threat to Caesar. Verse 37, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? Verse 40, finishing up. So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. 
Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we will love Jesus more through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Well, this is an interesting scenario. The Jews and Pilate did not like each other, but they're forming an alliance. The world is coming together, just like the Bible says, the world is coming together to attack our Lord. Now, Pilate asked this question, what is truth? What is truth? This is one of the most profound and most significant questions ever asked, and it comes from a pagan ruler, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And I know we got to celebrate and acknowledge and recognize many of our collegians and the graduates of our, of our, of our church family, and the reason why these graduates have gone to university and to seek higher education is to know the truth. Right? Just like Pastor Victor talked about the, the truth. What is the right answer? Just doing some research on universities and, and universities that we all would respect and, and, and regard highly is Harvard University. And Harvard University's original motto, all right, I think back in the late 1600s, was the truth. This is their motto. This is their, this is their mission statement. The truth for Christ and the church. Veritas, the truth for Christo, Christ, and Ecclesia, the church. This is what their mission was about, to know the truth about Christ and the church. And as the world crept into Harvard University and other universities, as we know, many of us know, many of the universities are founded by pastors to train up pastors to teach the word of God, the truth. The word crept into Harvard, and Harvard's current motto or mission statement is, it's been changed. They dropped Christ and the church. Now just veritas, truth, just truth. That's what Harvard is about now, truth. And the world is like Harvard. The world acknowledges there is truth in the, in the world, in particular the natural world, the sciences, right? The sciences, mathematics, other disciplines. There is truth. There is absolute concrete truth. Because when you abandon these, these truths these, of, of natural sciences and of the natural world, there are immediate consequences. What do I mean by that? Okay, here's the illustration. Flying on an airplane. And like I, I, I used to do, I used to fly in a ton of airplanes. <laughs> Each time was an adventure, right? You get on the airplane. For those of us who travel a lot, you get on the airplane and you're just trusting that you're going to make it to the other side, right? I mean, that's a lot of trust. There's a lot of faith. But the truth of the matter is, whoever built the plane, whoever designed the plane, they need to get the physics, they need to get the mathematical calculations right, they need to get the right materials, they need to get the engineering right, because if they don't get these things right, they don't get to defy the truth of gravity. And when they don't get it right, gravity wins and the consequences are great. We understand this. So our world takes certain truths very seriously, in particular in the natural world. However, when it comes to spiritual and moral truths, just like Harvard's motto, our world is backed off of that. All right? The truth 
has dropped, the world has dropped truth from the spiritual realm. And we, in essence, we live in a post-truth world. We're in a post-truth world when it comes to spiritual and moral matters. What is truth, Pilate asked. What is truth? And if we don't get that right in the spiritual realm, it's going to have eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. And what we do with truth determines our eternity. So what is truth? This is a massive, massive question. And we're going to find out, did Pilate mean this with all sincerity, or was he just saying this in cynicism? So the three points, I'm just going to give this to you ahead of time so you could help with your note-taking. What is truth? We're going to talk about truth according to the kingdom of the world. Then next, we're going to talk about truth according to the kingdom of God. And thirdly, we're going to finish up and conclude there. We're going to talk about how truth sets us free. Okay? So what is truth? Let's go to our first point. What is truth? The truth, according to the kingdom of the world, starts with whatever works. Whatever works. Let's read verse 29 here, uh, John uh, 18. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? So Pilate enters the scene. Pontius Pilate. All right, I talked to you already about him. He's a Roman governor. But who is this man? We know his position. We know his authority. But who is this man inside? That's what we want to know. Who is Pilate? And back in my Israel trip, one of my favorite destinations that we went to was a city called Caesarea Maritime. All right? And we took this field trip, and we're going to take this field trip too as a church family. And here's a picture of Pilate's uh, uh, home. So Pilate actually lived, he didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived on the coast, in Caesarea Maritime, on the coast, a city which King Herod built. It's a beautiful scenery now. I don't blame him for wanting to live there. It's right on the ocean. It's beautiful. It's cool. There's a breeze. The, the water is blue. It's phenomenal. And his home, his palace, or his governor's quarters was built up right against the water. Okay, from his back, back porch, he'd probably dip his feet into the water and, and touch the ocean. And so this is where he lived. And in 1961, researchers discovered a most incredible find called the Pilot Stone. This is a massive find because many people for many years are saying, Pilate, there was no governor named Pilate during the, during the time of Christ. And they're trying to knock down the validity of the Bible. But there is this Pilate stone, and, and it had an inscription on it which verified that Pontius Pilate was the governor during A.D. 26 through A.D. 36, I believe, which is the time of Christ. This, these archaeological finds absolutely verifies that the Bible is true. It's more evidence that you can trust the Bible. So this pilot stone was there. I took this picture of a, of a replica that they had. I think the original was in, a, in the Jer Jerusalem Museum. But this is huge. This is a huge discovery. But who is Pilate? We know where he lives now. You know where, he, where his home was. But who is Pilate? I think stories help to explain people. And, and, and I'm going to tell you two stories about Pilate to explain the man. First story, and both stories offended the Jews, by the way. 
The first story, when Pilate came into power of Judea, what he did was this. He made a big no-no, and he was insensitive to the Jewish people. What he did was he put up emblems of Caesar all over Jerusalem, flags with his emblem, emblems, standards raised up with Caesar's image. Now, this is not a good thing for the Jews. Why is that? Bible says to not have any graven images. Since people during the Roman Empire believed that Caesar was divine, this was a big no-no. This offended the Jews. And what the, what the Jews did was they left, many of the Jews left Jerusalem and they headed north to the coast to Caesarea Maritime to Pilate's home. And for five days they protested to Pilate, you need to take this down. You need to take these things down. This is wrong. So Pilate got fed up. And this picture that I took is the Hippodrome. What's a Hippodrome? It's a stadium for horse racing and chariot racing, kind of like Ben-Hur, if you remember that movie. And this Hippodrome stadium is still there. It still exists. And this is from my own camera. And, and Josephus, the, uh, uh, the, the Jewish historian, talks about how Pilate brought all these protesters to the middle of the stadium, and he basically made a threat, an ultimatum. You need to disperse and go back home in peace, or else I will have your heads removed. So Pilate could be heavy-handed now. But the Jews had so much conviction that this was right, that they didn't compromise. They said, you know what? We'd rather die. So what they did was they laid their necks, heads down and said, you could take our lives. You could take our lives. Well, they called Pilate's bluff, right? And Pilate acquiesced and eventually let them go, eventually took down these symbols. Second story. All right, second story. Pilate had an idea to create an aqueduct from Solomon's pool into Jerusalem, and which is a fine idea. But the problem is this. Pilate took the money from the temple treasury to build this aqueduct. This incited the Jews again. And they protested, and they protested. This time, Pilate had resolved to kind of show more of an iron fist. What he did was this. He had his soldiers kind of incognito uh, disguised amongst the crowd. And they get, when the signal was given, they pulled out their clubs and their daggers and they beat many of the Jews and they beat them to death. And a bunch of Jews died. Now, this was Pilate's story here with the Jews. Every single time one of these uprisings happened, you know what would happen? Reports will go from Jerusalem to Rome, right to Caesar's ears. And Pilate knew he couldn't ha keep having these things because his role was to maintain order. Is he demonstrating that he can't maintain order? Well, yeah, he was. And, and he couldn't afford for people to continue to talk bad about him. So this is where his focus was, I got to keep my job very practical. I need to keep my job. And just like an election year, like it is for us this year, you know, politicians know they got to make a good mark right before the election. It was an election year for Pilate every year. All right. So this is kind of the mentality. I'm just trying to help us understand what was going on in Pilate's heart. 
So let me read here, verse 37, 38. What is truth? I asked this question earlier. Was it sincere or was it a cynical question? Let's just read 37 and 38 of John 18. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. I come to preach the truth. Jesus was a preacher. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And here is verse 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now, I think the next line tells us if it was sincere or if it was just a cynical response. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now, if you really wanted to know the truth, don't you think you would have stayed there and listened to the response? What is truth? He turns his back and goes outside to address the Jews. Cynical. Cynical. And what was truth for Pilate? Whatever worked. Whatever helped keep his job. That's what was true. Pilate was a pragmatist. Pragmatism, what is that? All right, this is a big word. What is pragmatism? He's a pragmatist. It means pragmatists start with the results. For example, Pilate looked at, okay, what's going to help me keep my job? And then work backwards to see what the right answer is. And from there is going to be the truth. So that pragmatism is a backwards way of discovering truth. All right, it focuses on the results. And then you look, work backwards. Being practical is the king of a pragmatist. This is, the, this is the pragmatists look at practicality as the king of what they're trying to get done. In essence, man sits in the judgment of truth. All right, man is judging, hmm, what is right here? What is true? It's very relativistic in nature. There are no absolutes. For example, in other words, whatever works for you is true. And whatever works for me is true. If, I'm, if this makes me happy, this is true. If it makes you happy, then that's true. There's no, there no absolute truth in this system. And the spirit of pragmatism is alive today. Strong. The spirit of Pilate is absolutely strong today. And, and, and it's, it's about focusing on results. And do, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, does the end justify the means? Does the end justify the means? Every time we compromise truth of who God is, biblical principles, and we bend and we fudge things to help us at work, to kind of, or bend and fudge to maintain peace with relatives or, or, or spouses or children, we're acting like Pilate. We're no different. We're no different. We stand in judgment of God's word. That's not okay. So it's easy to be hard on Pilate, like how could he turn his back on Jesus? Well, evidently he didn't have ears to hear. But many of us are guilty of this. Many of us are compromisers and we do things to maintain whatever we got going, whatever we desire to maintain, we work in that direction. It's important that we don't, we really look in words to see if we're like Pilate or not. We need to repent of this. We need to repent. We need to repent of this.
Now that's truth according to the world. The truth according to the kingdom of the world starts with whatever works. As Christians, we don't get to think this way. We don't need to think this way, better put. So what is truth? Truth according to the kingdom of God starts with God. Starts with God. My family and I, we like to take road trips, uh, uh, especially when we lived up in the Northwest. We'd make trips down south. That We know the I-5 really well from California, L.A. To, to Washington. That 5 goes, goes all the way through to Canada if you wanted to get to Canada. And um, one of the trips that we like to do is we like to go south, headed uh, from Washington to Oregon, and then we make a right turn someplace, and then we all of a sudden, one of the best-kept secrets is the Oregon coastline. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And one of the places that we like to go was a place called Cannon Beach. Cannon Beach is a, just a kind of sleepy beach town, kind of little quaint shops, little restaurants here and there, and nice little beach there. But what you cannot miss is this massive rock called Haystack Rock. It's huge. It's, it's a 235-foot-high rock right in, the, right in the cove. And it's called Haystack Rock because it looks like a haystack, I think. You know? And uh, waves are constantly pounding on it. And sometimes the waves are gentle, but the tide gets up. And sometimes the waves are start pounding. Sometimes the storm uh, gets raised up and the waves start pounding it harder. But it doesn't move. Now, Pilate was tossed to and fro. He's, like, he's like, a, uh, like a beach ball in the ocean. He's getting tossed to and fro because of the pressure of the world. Jesus is like Haystack Rock, just standing there, immovable, stable. Waves and the, and the pressures of the world have no impact on him. Just hitting him, hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. And he's just looking straight at into the eyes of Pilate and speaking the truth. But and Jesus says this in verse 37. Let me read verse 37 again. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And this is Jesus' chance to just say, no, Pilate, I'm not. Please release me. Right? This is his chance. But Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. My Bible adds correctly. Your Bible, your ESV perhaps doesn't. You say that I am a king. The implication is clear. He's agreeing with Pilate, though. Okay? I believe that Bible translators got that right. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. He's, he goes on and tells Pilate, this is why I'm here. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. I've come to preach the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. He who has ears, let him hear. Truth sets the tone for everything. All right. So what is truth? It starts with God. God is the author of truth. Whatever God says and claims is true. And since God is a source of truth and he never changes, therefore, truth never changes. It's not like our culture where truth keeps changing here and there and here and there. Truth is like that haystack rock, never moving, never changing. Like Haystack Rock, truth is not shaped by public or popular opinion. 
Like Haystack Rock, truth is not evolving or progressing. These are the type of words that people who write a bunch of articles like to use, progressive or evolving. Progressing, evolving to what? According to changing culture, advancements in the sciences, new knowledge that people are able to find out. No, truth doesn't change based on man's knowledge. God is the author of truth. Truth is anchored in the source, God himself. And man does not sit in judgment of truth. Because if man is sitting in judgment of truth, man begins to sit in judgment of God. And we don't do that. We don't get to question God in that way. And let's turn to the Bible here. What does the Bible, what does God say about truth? Psalms 119, 160 says this, The sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. Children, what does some mean? Right? What does some mean? What's some, right? When you add up everything, that's the sum. Right? When you add everything, when you add up all of God's word, that is truth. Genesis to Revelation, children, brothers and sisters, is truth. Psalms 119, 116. You should write that one down. You should even underline it in your Bible. I have, my, I have it underlined in mine. Let's go to John 17, 17. Let's go to Jesus' own words as he prays to the Father. John 17, 17. It should show up on your screen. Jesus prays, Sanctify them in the truth. What is truth, Lord? Your word is truth. So there it is. The Bible is a source of truth. God's word is the Bible. There it is. Truth is found here. At Evergreen SGV, we have a statement of faith. And I'm currently working on a doctrinal statement. And you know what the first doctrine that we started off with? The Bible. The Bible. We believe at Evergreen SGV that the Bible is sufficient, inerrant, and the authoritative word of God. We believe this book is God literally speaking to you and me? He who has ears, let him hear. What does inerrant mean? It means without error, no error. What does sufficient mean? That means you don't need to go to anywhere else to learn about God and about what it means to be a Christian. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's all here. One-stop shop. What does it mean that we believe that the Bible is authoritative? That means that the Bible, whatever the Bible says when understood correctly, when we interpret it correctly, rules our lives, shapes our mindsets. This is how we put on the mind of Christ. So brothers and sisters, this is why the Bible dominates Christians. This is why it needs to dominate you. This is why we need to spend time studying the Word of God diligently. We need to eat. We need to eat. Pastor Victor talked about what is your favorite meal. Right? I love to eat. Ask any of my friends or family. I love to eat. But how much do we love to eat into God's word? The Bible says your word is sweeter than honey. Right? God's word. The Bible is, is, is compared to milk for children. The Bible nourishes us. And the Bible ultimately... Tells, about, tells us about a person. His name is Jesus Christ. 
the one that was standing before Pilate. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus' words, I am the way and the truth, there it is again, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is Jesus' word. Jesus is claiming to be the truth. And ultimately, the Bible points and talks about Jesus. This is what the essence of the Bible is about. Jesus. It's about a person. And Jesus is the truth incarnate. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst man. Right? And what it, 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 in John 18, 37, we just read, he came to testify to the truth. What is he talking about? What is Jesus coming here to talk about? Jesus is coming to talk about who God is. He tells us who God is. He tells us who the Father is. By knowing Jesus, you know the Father. Jesus came to testify about man and where we came from and who we are in relation to God. We're sinners. And sinners, he came to testify, will be judged. He goes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to turn away from your sins and repent and ask for forgiveness. This was his first sermon. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He did not ease into this. He didn't give some kind of self-help message or this is how you could do this better or do that. But he goes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Jesus' message. He came to testify about God's great love. How can God show his love for us more than sending his own son to die for us? He came to tell us about salvation, how to be saved, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. That we can be saved by repenting to our Lord and saying, forgive me, I agree, I'm a sinner, I've rebelled against you. I want to trust in who you are, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you to be the Lord of my life, Jesus. I will follow you, Jesus, and stop following after sin. Salvation. He came to testify about holiness, that he cares that his people are holy. He gives specific instructions that in Matthew 18 to maintain the holiness of his church. Holiness, purity of the church is very important to our Lord. He came to testify about his eternal kingdom. Right? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. So the truth, according to the kingdom of God, starts with God. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I believe this is one of the biggest things we need to all reconcile in our hearts. Is the Bible God's word? Do you believe this book, that this is God's word? Do you believe that all my answers about God are here? Do you believe that how to become a Christian is in here? Do you believe what it means to live the Christian life and to be part of the church is all here? Do you believe this? This is why the Bible is central to Evergreen SGV and any faithful church. Because how else does Christ rule his church if the Bible is not central? How else does Christ mediate his rule to you and me in our individual's lives? This is how God speaks to us. This is how our Lord, our head, the one we love, speaks to us. All right, let's go to our third and final point. What is truth? Well, truth ultimately sets us free. Turn to John 8, if you would. John 8, 
Let's start off with 31 here, John 8, 31. So John, John continues to make reference to the things that he's talked about in the past. It helps. John 8, 31 says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, right, truth, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue to abide and, and, and obey the word of God, you're showing to the Lord and to yourself that you are true disciples, true followers of Christ. This is what Evergreen is called to be about, about discipleship. All right, verse 32. And you will know the truth. There it is again, the word, children, right? Truth. Taking off that mask, the re realness, right? The truth. And the truth, what does that say, church family? Will make you what? Will make you what? That's right, free. The truth ultimately sets us free. So Pilate asked. He had this golden opportunity to stand before truth himself and ask, what is truth? Should have stayed there and waited for the answer. <laughs> he should have waited for the answer. He should have waited for the answer. And look what happens. Let's read verse, uh, back to John 18, verse 39 and 40. We're going to finish up here. Verse 39. But you have a custom, this is Pilate speaking, that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish, then I release for you the king of the Jews? See, Pilate knew he was innocent. Pilate has a conscience. He knows what's right and wrong, whether he admits it or not. He says, I find no guilt in this man. I find no guilt in this man. But he wanted to pass it off, pass the buck off to the people, hoping that they will make the right choice so that there's no revolt. Because if he made that choice, he knew there would be another revolt and another bad report back to Rome, back to headquarters. Verse 40. So they cried out again. They must have said this before. So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. But Barabbas. And this is now, Barabbas was a robber. Who is Barabbas? It's important to understand these characters that appear. Bible says right here, now Barabbas was a robber. As I studied this word more and also cross-referenced the other gospel accounts of Barabbas, Barabbas could have been a robber, like he says right here, stealing things. But it was better put, he was an insurrectionist. He used to kill people as, to get things done. In essence, in today's term, he was a terrorist. Here's a terrorist. Think of Al-Qaeda. Think of terrorism. This was him. This Barabbas was a terrorist. 2,000 years ago against Rome. And evidently, he, he was a part of a group of terrorists. It wouldn't surprise me if he was the leader of this group because the Bible says in Matthew 27 that he was notorious. He was a notorious person. That means he was well-known. He was probably the ringleader, I think, of these insurrectionists, the, these terrorists. And they would do whatever it took to get what they wanted done. Pragmatism, again, right, showing up. Forget human life. We're just going to do what we've got to do to get, 
secure what we need to get done. So he, he, this man was actually a clear threat to Rome. Just like the, the Jews try to say Jesus is a threat to Rome, this man was actually a threat to Rome. Jesus was never a threat to Rome. That's not what he came for. But Barabbas was a true rebel, and he was a true threat to Rome. And what does Pilate do? Pilate do, what does he do? Well, famously, Pilate sets Barabbas free. He sets him free. He sets him free. Barabbas, the known rebel, the notorious rebel. Barabbas, the notorious murderer. Barabbas, the notorious terrorist. This is Barabbas. And then he condemns Jesus, the innocent one. I find no guilt in him. This is what Pilate said. I find no guilt in him. And Pilate condemns Jesus to die. He sends him to his death. And you're not wrong if you're thinking this right now. This is the greatest injustice of all. Children, if you should be thinking, that's not fair, right? We like, I know we like to use that term, right? That's not fair, right? Mommy, dad, that's not fair. This is definitely not fair. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. It's not the right thing to do, right? Now, I want us to turn our attention. Now we kind of understand what Barabbas did and where his line of work was, I guess. And... But let's kind of deep, go deep into the mind of Barabbas right now. What do you think is going through the mind of Barabbas? Right, what's going through his mind? If you were Barabbas, what would you, what would you be thinking right now? What would you be thinking? After phew, my kid said phew, after that initial relief, what are you thinking? I think he would be thinking something like this. Maybe this, that man is innocent. I mean, anyone could see that he's an innocent man, all right? And keep in mind, Barabbas isn't some deranged man, I don't think. For him to be able to organize so many people, he, he had some good discernment, I believe. He, he could be able to understand the times. And I was, if I was Barabbas, I'd kind of start looking to myself now, and he doesn't deserve to die. I actually deserve to die. These hands have murdered people. I've stabbed people, perhaps. I've incited other people to murder other people. I, I'm a murderer. Right? If you're Barabbas, you should be thinking this. If you're Barabbas, you know what you've thought. You know what you've schemed. You know what you've done. These are real things that are racing through Barabbas' mind, perhaps. And he's thinking, this man, this innocent man is going to die? And I get to be free? I get to live? He's going to die today? I get to live? My question to you, brothers and sisters, is do we think these things about ourselves? Do we believe that Jesus is the innocent one? Do we believe that we deserve eternal death? Do you recall what you used to be like before you were saved into Christ? Do you recall how far you have been brought to this point? Do you remember? Do you remember the anger that you felt the other day in your heart? 
Do you remember the slander that you were speaking the other day about somebody? You may not have been killing anybody. Perhaps you were killing somebody with your words. Do we remember? So why is Barabbas here? Well, for one, he's a historical figure. He actually existed. And he actually gets released. But I believe Barabbas also represents all of us. We're all Barabbases. All of us. Every single one of us are Barabbases. All of us. And we must not forget where we came from, how far we were, and how we've been brought near to the Lord now. This is injustice. We all should, have di- we all should die. Instead, the innocent one died. We're all Barabbases. I'm going to read one verse for us out of uh, Isaiah 61. My mind was drawn to this this morning, and I'll just read it for us. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Hundreds of years before Jesus walked earth, hundreds of years, more truth that the Bible is true. Hundreds of prophecy, hundreds, 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 hundreds of years before Jesus walked earth. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Who is bringing good news? Who is testifying to the truth before Pilate? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim, to preach liberty to captives, freedom to captives. And freedom to prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, all who mourn after their sin. This is Jesus. Jesus has came to set us free. Ultimately, the truth sets us free. Now let's turn our attention to the Lord. I don't want to end up on Barabbas or us. This is about Jesus, right? I just got done. Point number two, the Bible is about Jesus how are, we, how are we not going to stop and land with Jesus? What was going through Jesus' mind now? That might have been going through Barabbas' mind, but what was going through Jesus' mind as he stood there like haystack rock, staring at Pilate in the eyes, perhaps even staring at Barabbas in the eyes? What was going through Jesus' mind? Let's look at verse 37 at the end. Second half, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. The truth, children. Here it is. He's thinking about everyone who is of the truth, who hears his voice. He was thinking about you and me. He was thinking about the disciples. He's thinking about, I'm here to establish my kingdom. He's thinking about you and me. He was thinking about you and me, brothers and sisters. 
See, Christianity is such a personal relationship with God. It's not impersonal, it's very personal. He was thinking about you and me to build his kingdom. Remember he said in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom was not built on might and power and all these other things. What was going through our Lord's mind? He's thinking about everyone who would hear his word and believe in his word as true. He's thinking about you and me, Evergreen Church family. Is that not so comforting? Does that not display the knowledge and the deep, deep love of Christ? So are you wondering right now if Jesus knows what you're going through on a personal level? Absolutely he knows. And he's praying for you and me right now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Rest assured, our Lord loves us and loves you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. What an incredible, incredible passage. I know we couldn't get through everything, but Lord, I pray the truth is clearly understood that we at Evergreen SGV will hunger and tear up your word so that we could dig in and to understand and eat. We would eat. Eat your word with a spiritual hunger so that we could know you more. Thank you for your word. Your word is true. Thank you, Jesus, for testifying about the truth. Thank you, although we're all Barabbases, you set us free. Thank you that you allow us and you have called us to understand your words and we could hear your voice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen.